Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 11th of December 2020. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Robert Barwick, Citizens Party Research Director. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Elisa. And on today's show, the truth about the Christine Holgate scandal is getting out. And 2020, the year of crisis and incredible political breakthroughs. Elisa, we should say this is our last show for the year. We'll resume again People can expect a new updated show on, in mid-January. There's lots to watch on our YouTube page though, right? So I urge people to look back over the, especially if you haven't watched our Citizens Insight interviews. Mm. And if you have time, we've put up all these incredible Lance Endersby presentations, the late Lance Endersby, the engineering professor we work with. Um, there's about seven or eight hours of those there. I really recommend people look at because he had a great vision for Australia, which we were able to turn into one particular presentation. But it's worthwhile looking at all of them the way he thought because we can get our economy going again with that kind of thinking. Yeah, and that has to stimulate the year that will be 2021 with our legislative proposals to get that into motion, which we will come back to. So our first topic today, the truth about the Christine Holgate scandal is getting out. And we've just released a media release titled Bob Catter reinstate Christine Holgate as Australia Post CEO because this week in the Parliament MP Bob Catter uh, stood up and stated that Christine Holgate should be reinstated as the CEO of Australia Post, that it had, had been a travesty that this took place. And this followed the previous week um, that uh, MP Barnaby Joyce stood up in Parliament and did a mea culpa reversing his support for um, the character assassination and um, uh, forcing of Christine Holgate to stand down and he stated, look, I was wrong, I didn't understand the circumstances and he uh, had a chance to meet with people from local post office groups and discovered what a good job she'd actually done and so he took back his support for that um, measure. When he now, saw the facts, he changed his mind, which was which is to his credit. Bob Catter went further than Barnaby, though. We, we played Barnaby's clip last week on mm. the show. Bob went further and did what everyone should be doing, calling for Christine Holgate to be reinstated. Yeah. So we'll just run that clip now. I call the member for Kennedy. Speaker, I rise to raise the issue of Christine Holgate, um, um, who... Um, um, I think it's one of the most unfortunate events I've seen in uh, recent times. Um, under her, the revenue was up for Australia Post by 7 per cent. The Australian people only own three assets. The NBN, put there by Kevin Rudd, like it or not, um, Snowy Mountains and the Australia Post. She put the revenue up 7 per cent um, as the, her pr previous CEO had losses and had to sell assets to make up for those losses. Um, the profits were $53 million a year uh, on a very, very break-even proposition. We know how uh, letters have gone down, and, but she's parcels have gone up under her. Half the wages, she takes half the wages that her predecessor took. Um, there were 3,000 small businesses rescued by her very aggressive action, and they are very strongly for it. And this place is going to pay a penalty with all those people pulling against 
um, the people in this parliament unless she is reinstated. Um, she was punished for $20,000 for three, three watches. This is an institution that turns over $4 billion, $3 billion, arguably $4 billion a year. And some of the leading people who deserve some compensation for the wonderful effort they put in the have got $20,000. has God expired. So, Elisa, it's very important that Bob Catter has done that, right? Now, the, the call's been made in Parliament, and I think um, what we need to do, and we'll talk about this more in a second, is get the public needs to get behind this, right? Because this was a travesty um, when you know the facts, but also there's a, there's a bigger issue here about um, there is a way to resolve all this that's in the best interest of Australians, which is through Australia Post becoming a people's bank, um, but Christine needs to be reinstated. And one of the things that's... As we've looked into this more and more, more information's come out. You can see how um, how this came about. So what, one of the things we point out in our release today is that um, there's basically two theories, which is not in our release, but I'll just explain. There's two theories about how this happened. There's the, there's the cock-up, if I can use that, or the conspiracy, right? Now, we first raised that, the possibility that, that Scott Morrison slaughtered Christine Holgate because you know the banks hate the idea that she wants an Australia Post Bank. The cock-up theory is that Scott Morrison overreacted to a question and in so doing, carrying on about pretending he cares about the misuse of taxpayer funds, um, he, uh, his outburst destroyed the career of the best CEO Australia Post has ever had. And frankly, that's more terrifying than the conspiracy one because it means that you know, just, just a, a crazy politician's crazy outburst can take out someone who's doing a stellar job, which is, which is the facts of the case. But Scott Morrison had his reaction in response to the question from Anthony Albanese. And I want to read out the question because the lie is in the question, right? Um, so this was, that, this was that day, where, whereas in the morning, Kimberly Kitchen, this Labor MP, had gone in there and ambushed Holgate out of the blue to question her about watches she had purchased two years earlier in 2018, right? Two years earlier. So this is a question asked on the 22nd of October this year from Anthony Albanese. My question is addressed to the Prime Minister. How is it that on his watch, in the middle of the worst recession in almost a century, with one million Australians unemployed, businesses collapsing and a trillion dollars of Liberal debt, this government is taking no action against the Liberal appointed Australia Post Board, which spent $12,000 of taxpayers' money on Cartier watches? And that's the question that Morrison had this incredibly fake outrage outburst to. That, that question is a lie. It's a deliberate lie. The question is, did, did Albo know it was a lie or was he also misled? Because those watches were not bought in the middle of a global pandemic and global depression and, and, and mass unemployment crisis. They were bought two years earlier in response to an incredible deal that those four executives had done which saved, which profited Australia Post, saved the licensed post offices and actually earned money to the government, right, in the form of $20 million in GST. So, and of course, what the, the premise of that question is how it was all reported and, 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 and drove Christine Holgate out. So what we need to do is people have to push back at this. We've put up the call that we need an Australia Post Bank. People should look at this um, resolution in our, on our release. We've put up a proposed resolution that Parliament should pass to reinstate her, which contains the facts. One of the things I want to highlight in there, Elisa, is, the, is this fact. So... Remember, the premise is $20,000, not $12,000. $20,000 of taxpayers' funds were misused. That's the premise. Well, if that's cost the job of the best CEO Australia Post has ever had, 
That puts at risk the 3,000 licensed post offices that are small businesses who have each invested 1.2 million on average into their job, into their business, to provide this essential service. By law, Australia Post has to maintain those post offices. But if those businesses go back to the old model where they were facing bankruptcy and do face bankruptcy, Australia Post does not have the money to maintain those post offices that by law they have to. That will require a taxpayer rescue of Australia Post to the tune of at least $3 billion. Mm -hmm. So for want of carrying on over $20,000 that wasn't taxpayers' money, because Australia Post doesn't receive taxpayers' money, it's only owned by the taxpayer, they are putting at risk $3 billion, right? And, and all the information's in there. We're asking people, get this, take our release today, take that proposed um, resolution, send it to every member of parliament, right? Send it to your member of parliament, demand a response. Will you support this and demand a response? And the motion states, this is what we're calling on the government to do, to replace the current board with non-political appointees, including a representative each from licensed post offices and from Australia Post employees, and to direct the board to reinstate Christine Holgate as CEO. And then we can begin to put this on the right track. And of course, the third thing that should be done is turn Australia Post into a bank. Yes. So what we've got now, we want to play, a, we've produced a new video that's available on YouTube to see. We want to play it on this show, which is a three and a half minute video that we're circulating online that actually explains all the issues in there. Have a look. Australia can create a national postal bank that would end the destructive monopoly of the big four. I'm Robert Barwick of the Citizens Party. A national postal bank would have many benefits. It would provide a safe place to deposit savings, offer convenient service to rural communities abandoned by the big banks, and contribute to national economic development. In fact, Japan's post bank was crucial in creating the economic miracle there after World War II. In the 1990s, it was the largest bank in the world. In Australia, meanwhile, the big four banks were cited by the Banking Royal Commission for charging dead people fees, signing up vulnerable people to useless insurance, and systematically undermining the retirement nest eggs of workers through high charges and poor investment returns. The Financial Review had pointed out the banks had charged people for perhaps a billion dollars of services they never received. Isn't it time to end the banking monopoly of the big four? In 2018, various media reported that Christine Holgate, Australia Post chief executive, was discussing creating a postal bank. You can see this report points out that the banks will fight it tooth and nail. Over the last decade, the big four shut down branches in hundreds of rural communities to cut costs, putting profit before customer service. Australia Post filled the gap and provided banking services, but local post offices were forced to hire more people and incur more costs, threatening LPOs with bankruptcy. So Christine Holgate negotiated a $100 million concession from the banks to cover the costs of the banking services Australia Post was providing their customers on the cheap. How angry do you suppose that made the big four? Well, it appears the banking empire has struck back. Christine Holgate is the victim of a malicious, politically motivated character assassination over Cartier watches she bought two years ago and she's been forced to resign. Senator Kimberly Kitching grandstanded and wrote she nearly had to be picked up off the floor when Christine Holgate said she hadn't used taxpayers' money to reward the executives who got the $100 million concession from the banks. 
Compare that to the government website which says the following, Australia Post is required by law to operate commercially and does not receive funding from the government. In August 2016, as Treasurer, Scott Morrison said the call for a banking royal commission was nothing more than a populist whinge and voted against it 26 times. The Citizens Party has responded to his shameful and disingenuous attack on Christine Holgate by calling on him to resign. We are also drafting legislation to create a national postal bank. Please sign our petition for this bank and help us finally end the banking monopoly of the big four. The Australian people deserve better. Help us strike a blow for the good and sign our petition today. Welcome back to the Citizens Report. We're now discussing 2020, the year of crisis and incredible political breakthroughs. And, we, and at last show of the year, Elisa, we get to be a bit sentimental, but it's worth reflecting on. Well, there's been some excellent advancements of a number of battlefronts this year towards the overall uh, victory in the war that we want to make happen in this coming year. Um, now, 2020 started um, on our political campaign front with the cash ban campaign and it also ended with the cash ban victory which we reported in depth last week. You can watch that show for more detail on how that came about and the, the details of that. Uh, so the Senate, um, the year started with the Senate conducting an inquiry into the proposal to ban cash transactions over $10,000. Senator Alex Gallagher led fine questioning in two hearings um, in, during that inquiry. Uh, the report was delayed for longer consideration of evidence. We generated uh, coverage such as Nassim Kadem in the ABC and other papers of the cash ban. And so it started to you know, attain the attention of the public in a very important way. Uh, by the 2nd of March, the ALP had um, decided to recommend the cash ban in its final, within the final report of the inquiry. So the ALP decided they weren't going to oppose what the government was pushing for here. And we put out the infamous press release saying that the Labor Party now owns the cash ban, which they were none too happy about. No. <laughs> but it began to spark more and more of the revolt we saw building through the course of the year. By March, there were reports of silent bank runs, which um, started to come out. And we were also exposing throughout this period uh, the debanking of various um, sectors that were challenges to the, the bank's control and monopolisation of finance um, through this time. Uh, in July, we pushed the Keep the Change campaign, telling people to pay in cash even if they're being instructed not to and just say, only take because it or leave the leave Only because the official people said, look, there is no, the health authority said there is no reason not to use cash, mm. despite that being used as an excuse to, to um, suppress cash. And we even saw in terms of the parliamentary revolt, Jackie Lambie putting out um, a, a survey on her website asking people across the entire nation, let me know what you think about the cash ban and eventually saying she would vote against it on that basis of the popular outrage. So that's a, a summary of um, what we did through the course of the year. Look, it was an incredible campaign, Elisa. And, and, and actually, we were doing, we had a lot of other focuses that, we would talk, that we'll talk about in a second. But 
Um, the work we did and the number of people involved, it just made this impossible for the government. So we had the incredible victory um, last week in Parliament. And, and I think it spilled over this week into this victory against the cashless welfare card as well, which is equally alarming. It's part of the same operation using, you know, they'll, they'll pick off the, the vulnerable people to justify it to the rest of us. Oh, see, they're dull bludgers. They don't deserve the rights as the rest of us, etc. Wrong. If it's a principle, it applies to everybody. Yeah. And, and we have to fight it, and we'll continue to fight this going forward. But the, what the moral is, this year showed you can win this kind of fight, and we mm. did. Yeah. Now, the year also started with the fight against bail-in uh, because Malcolm Roberts put up his amendment to explicitly exclude deposits from bail-in from the law that had passed in February 2018 on the 27th of February. So he put up that amendment at that point early on in the year. An inquiry into that amendment was then called and submissions were taken. We pushed for public hearings emphatically to get people up on the stand that would show um, that bail-in um, is what, exactly what Australia has where all the MPs were denying that deposits would be bailed in. Unlike the cash ban though, those public hearings didn't happen. They were no. able to effectively rigged that inquiry. That would have been a game changer and, and, and it doubtless affected the outcome, but nevertheless um, we put them under a lot of pressure. Yeah, we did and the same as with the cash ban, the report from the inquiry was delayed so that they could look at evidence for a longer period. In the last two months, of course these most recent two months, we escalated the heat on MPs in an unprecedented way, which was phenomenal. Um, Look, so in two days, two weeks ago, in two days, um, one of the Labor MPs reported receiving 368 phone calls in two days. They, they, they've never experienced that kind of heat before. Mm. Right? It pushed them right to the edge. And even though ultimately the amendment to stop bail-in deposits did not succeed at this point, that battle is actually not over because there was such heat generated where the Liberal Party had their own um, people in their own party um, threatening to cross the floor and so forth, that it got to the point where they were forced to negotiate with Malcolm Roberts to discuss the fact that um, they would have to take this up themselves in the new year. Yeah, so those negotiations have been ongoing and now there's an expectation that around April next year um, there could be another amendment to actually settle this in the law. So we will... The government has to deliver. We will monitor it very closely and push it very hard. But that's a very positive development considering mm. that the bill was ultimately voted down um, last Monday. Yep, so that fight goes on. Uh, now, we've got to take a quick break, but after this, we're going to talk about the third campaign we've had running through this year and the breakthroughs there, and that's national banking. Welcome back to the show where we're discussing the incredible political breakthroughs over the course of the year and um, we're talking about national banking now which will culminate in the campaign which is a really important positive flanking manoeuvre to get uh, a real shift that people can get behind in the new year um, which is the campaign for an Australia Post Bank, a People's Bank and you can read more about that in this week's alert service so call us for a free copy if you haven't already. Um, now the year started um, even before coronavirus really took off, you had the demise of Holden in this country, which saw us putting out a press release calling for a national uh, development bank to invest in infrastructure and manufacturing in particular to revive manufacturing. Uh, and then we had a number of calls following that, hot on the heels, calling for an emergency economic mobilisation to, to um, inoculate the real economy of this nation against the fight we knew was coming. 
as the virus spread. Because when the international borders shut down, it just suddenly for the first time dawned on people, hey, we're really dependent on things being made overseas, aren't we? Mm. Right. Yep. And, you know, that that forced a shift, which I think they're backtracking on, but we're not going to let them. That's right. And then in April, we put out a media release calling for the Clean Energy Finance Corporation to be transformed into an emergency national investment bank because we saw that it, it was able to use that function of national banking. But we could take that, hijack it essentially, and turn it into something really effective to begin to finance the development of the nation in a hurry. With, so, that, with, with very little legislative change, mm. that was key because Parliament wasn't sitting. And we had to show, look, there's a way to do this with this institution, just adapt it through regulation. Now, Bob Catter immediately uh, backed up that call, calling for it to fund the Bradfield scheme for starters. Liberal Senator Jared Reddick joined the chorus calling for a national bank to invest in public infrastructure. Uh, by June, however... Uh, that option had been ruled out by an arcane parliamentary um, process which didn't allow us to go ahead with it. So we reissued our call for a dedicated national development bank. We then intervened in the diversifying trade and investment inquiry to demand that if we want to really um, you know, have Australia be self-sufficient, we have to have that banking facility to make it possible. One of our collaborators, collaborators Elisa, uh, Dr Mark McGovern, from Queensland University of Technology testified at that inquiry and they the inquiry acknowledged that it received a lot of calls for a national development bank. Yep. Now the Australian unions then came out calling for a national economic reconstruction bank which was closely followed by the CEPU union putting out a paper calling for a Australia Post Bank. We were also at this time publicising a US um, coalition called the National Infrastructure Bank Coalition and that was getting a lot of uh, traction in the US political situation over there. We called for a debt and foreclosure moratorium amid the worsening economic conditions with the pandemic. We issued the call for Project Iron Boomerang which you can watch the video for which was a stunning way that you could utilise national banking. In New Zealand at this time uh, the National Party over there during their election was proposing a National Infrastructure Bank. We released uh, the series of Lance Endersby videos of how we could develop the country, which you mentioned earlier, and it culminated, as I mentioned, with the Christine Holgate intervention, our intervention to reinstate her against the Labor-Liberal ambush. Uh, which, we, which, we, which we suspected straight away because we knew Christine Holgate mm. had been in discussion about Australia Post becoming a people's bank. That's right, and of course then we called for an Australia Post bank, but in such a way where you know we compared it with other... Uh, famous banks such as the Japan Postal Savings Bank where the excess savings that would immediately flow into such a bank can then capitalise a national development bank which is our ultimate you know, desire to have such a bank uh, it can be capitalised by that kind of a postal savings bank breaking, to launch the recovery we need. And, and Elisa, breaking news actually, there's legislation just being introduced in the US Congress now for an Australia, not Australia, for a postal bank over there that people have been pushing for for a long time. Mm. So this is an idea that um, the, the, the private financial system has been in uh, you know, more than a decade of, of um, uh, life support, quantitative easing, all this central bank rubbish. We need to scrap that whole system, go back to a system that actually says the financial system has to serve the, the real economy full stop. Mm. And that's what this banking thing is about. So we've fought, when we fight the cash ban and bailing, we're fighting negative banking policies that are, mm -hmm. that are part of a bad banking system. 
This is about overhauling the banking system to make it work for the people. Now, I want to thank everybody for all the efforts they've made, all the calls to MPs, all the interventions, spreading the word and get ready for 2021 on bail-in and the Australia Post bank fights. Thanks for tuning in all year. We'll see you again next year. Thanks, Robert. Thanks, Lisa. See you later.